A mother barely 20 out there on her own. A teenage boy in prison before he's even grown. The illness of a loved one, a widow no one calls. But there is one solution, an answer for it all. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence. There is power in His Fighting for her life, a church that needs revival, a broken man and wife. But in the name of Jesus, chains of bondage fall. Prayers are heard and answered when God's children call. There is power in the name. Jesus, there is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence. There is power in His name. There is power. In the name of Jesus, there is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence. There is power in His name. Let me give you just a couple of things that I've learned along the way. Um, <clears throat> I threw away my can opener because it was more of a can't opener. <clears throat> I uh, <clears throat> read about a woman, she calls her mother after an argument with her husband. She says, you know, we fought again, and I'm coming over to stay with you. To which her mother replies, no, dear, no, dear. He'll pay for his mistake. I'm coming to stay with you. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you know, you got to wonder, what, what did the drummer call his two daughters? 
and a one and a two. All right. Cosmetic surgery used to be such a taboo subject. Now you can talk about Botox and nobody raises an eyebrow. <clears throat> you know, my wife, she, uh, she tells me I'm the cheapest person she knows. Well, I'm not buying it. You know, I arrived early at the restaurant the other night. And they said, do you, do you mind waiting for a few minutes? The manager asked. And I said, well, not at all. He said, good. Take these drinks to table nine. <laughs> okay. And then there was this chicken. The chicken frowned at her brood. If your father could see you now. He'd turn over on his rotisserie. <clears throat> okay. I thought that might be a help and blessing to all of us today. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I am this close to preaching a message I have not prepared for. I am this close. And I've been praying about it, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to, and then I felt like, well, maybe you'll let me have a chance to not do, because I don't have verses for this. I have the verses. I know them in my head. I don't know them in the, I'm trying to remember where they're all at. You ever do that before? Yeah. And so, I think my first inclination was correct. I just got the idea heading into church the other day. So, I think I'm going to pass, because I want to make this, I want to set it up better. And I feel like the Lord's going to give me a pass on this. <clears throat> but boy, I'll tell you what, it was real close. You almost had to endure. I want you to, I, I'm going to preach a message, basically, on a lie detector test. So I'm going to talk about that here in the coming future, maybe even next week, we'll see. I, I might talk about it next week, but I want to set it up. I'm going to get a lie detector, I'm going to try to find a lie detector machine this week, set it up on stage, and ask some questions. Okay? So we'll see what we can do. Uh, it might be hard to get a lie detector here in the church, but we'll see. But we know we have one lie detector, and that would be the Lord. He always knows whether we're telling the truth or not, right? But we're going we're gonna to talk, talk a little bit about that next week. Came real close. But I have point one, and I have statements and no verses. Point two, I do have one verse. Point three, I've got a bunch in my head, and I could quote them. But I want to do it right, and I feel like the Lord's going to give me a pass because of that. Because I do believe it'll be an effective message, and it'll be one that can be very helpful. And so, I want you to turn today instead to Judges chapter six, 12. Judges 12, verse 1. Next week, I think next week we're going to try to do this. So we'll see about getting something for that. I won't be here. I'm going to be going to camp for a few days. Looking forward to that, going to camp with the teenagers. I'm looking forward to doing that. It's going to be a good time. And uh, you pray for me. <laughs> Haven't been to camp in a few years, and I'm uh, not quite the physical specimen that I was in the day. And uh, so, you know, I don't know how that's going to work out, but anyway, uh, we'll see how it turns out. It's going to be a good time, though. Our teenagers are great, and I like to spend time with them. Judges chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. 
Judges chapter 12. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible, they're pretty, pretty far back. Judges chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passeth thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? Didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. When I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hands. Wherefore then are ye come up against them? Come up unto me this day to fight against me. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassehites. The Gileadites, boy, you love that, isn't it great? The Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the, Eph before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay. Then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? This was nothing new for Ephraim. We've seen them also quarreling with Gideon back in chapter 8, verse 1, when he didn't summon them to help rout the Midianites. Remember, you have Gideon and the Midianites, and he did not uh, ask for their help, so to speak. They were very upset. Now we find them demanding that Jephthah give them the reason why he didn't ask them for their help in the battle against the Ammonites. Earlier in chapter 11, we see that this Jephthah had a great victory against the Ammonites, that, that he and his people, the Gideonites, had truly were given a wonderful victory, that God had interceded, that God had made it happen. And boy, it was a glorious victory indeed. And Jephthah reminds these Ephraimites, he says, Hey, wait a second now. I came to you and I sought your help. And yet you didn't lift one finger to help me. And now you come to me telling me that you're going to burn my house down around me? The problem was jealousy. Maybe Jephthah approached them later rather than sooner and they were offended. I don't know why they did not help. I don't know what the circumstances were completely. The Bible doesn't necessarily give us all the reasoning, but we do know that he approached them. We do know they had an opportunity, but they failed to respond, and as a result, they went on without them. And now here they are threatening the man who led this great victory with death. They wanted the glory. They wanted the spoils of victory, obviously. Their jealousy would be a problem that would produce rebellion within their ranks well into the future. Matter of fact, later on, when the kingdom is divided into north and south, we find that Ephraim is the center of all the rebellion. 
And it all goes back to their jealousy. Oh, we could talk about jealousy. We could spend a whole morning and afternoon and the next week or two probably addressing it and dealing with it, but we won't. Nonetheless, Jephthah had to protect himself. And as a result, he gathered the men of Ephraim, and they gathered together. They got working on it now. We can't afford to have our leader burned in his own home. And so they went to war now with Ephraim. Gilead, fighting Ephraim. And the Gileadites were successful in defeating the Ephraimites. And they seized the Jordan fords, and they set up these checkpoints, if you will, so that the Ephraimites could not escape. Those that had somehow gotten away in the battle were still in the area, and they wanted to ensure they could not escape. So they set up these checkpoints. They selected a password that would be difficult to pronounce because it contained a consonant which was not in the Ephraimite dialect. The word was shibboleth. Shibboleth. If a person's accent was not just right when he pronounced the word, they were in real trouble. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they were done for. Say shibboleth. Sibboleth. Are you an Ephraimite? Oh, no, I'm not an Ephraimite. Oh, no. Say shibboleth. Sibboleth. Wrong answer. Can you believe that? It's amazing, isn't it? Do you know what was really going on? Their speech exposed them for who they really were. In this case, they were the enemy. Shibboleth! Sibboleth! Let me me try it again. Sibboleth! Sibboleth! Sorry as they're taking him out to execute him. No, one more try, please, one more chance! No, no, your speech betrays you. You're not who you claim to be. We can tell by your speech. Let me ask you a question. You say you're a Christian and not of the world, but does your speech betray you? I mean, when you're with your friends, is it obvious you're a Christian? When you're at work, is it obvious you're a Christian? When you're at home, is it obvious you're a Christian? See, God makes much of the tongue. He places a premium on it. And Today, I just want to ask the question, does your speech betray you? Are you a Christian? Does your speech betray you? Let's pray. Father, we need you. We ask for your leadership today. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. Encourage us this morning, and may we, Father, bring glory to you. You're so good to us. We thank you for the opportunity that we now have to gather here and hear from your precious book, the word of God. We do ask that you would just be with each of us. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, I need you today, and I want you to fill me and use me. 
And I thank you for the liberty that you've given me to proclaim your truth this morning. And I pray, Lord, that every listening ear would also be also equally spirit-filled, that, Father, we would hear with spiritual ears and receive exactly what you'd have for all of us. We need you today. Do a supernatural work in our lives, Lord. We are trusting you and only you to get it done this morning. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. See, God makes much of the tongue then. He places a premium on it. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, we're going to read a passage. And boy, I'll tell you what, he, he gives us some instruction. It's a powerful verse. It can be a life-changing verse. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. In that particular passage, he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that they may know how ye ought to answer every man. That ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. In Titus chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, he says. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Whoa, boy, that's a powerful statement there, too. Not only is our speech to be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so we know how to answer every man, but he now, in the passage, he's addressing the aged men here in Titus chapter 2. He's addressed the aged women. He's also addressed the young women. And now he turns his attention to the young men. And he says, listen, young men. He says, I, I, it's important that you express and show sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is on the contrary part may not be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. That he might be ashamed. So when they point their finger and say, you're a bad person, you're not very good, nor are you godly, nor are you Christ-like, you can say, hey, you know that's a lie. And notice that it's early on that he issues this exhortation to the young men. He doesn't wait till they're aged men. He says to the young men, exhibit sound speech. Why? Because he expects them to continue to do so through their lifetime. Because it's so vital and it's so important in their life. And why is it important, you may ask? I want you to turn to 1 Peter 3, verse 10, please. 1 Peter 3.10. I'm going to read a passage in Proverbs. It says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.10. Again, Proverbs 15.4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Wow, that's powerful. Our speech then will ultimately determine whether we live or whether we die. Whether we succeed or whether we fail. Whether we are happy or whether we are sad. Just like the Ephraimites whose speech betrayed their profession, our speech will determine our end as well. They said, "Uh, say shibboleth. 
Sibboleth. And it cost them their life. If our speech is not in accordance to the word of God and outlined as scripture defines, then you and I too will find it leads to our demise. In Proverbs 21, 23, the Bible says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. How quickly we are in this life to just let words fly off of our tongue. And listen, it is true of all of us. We are flesh and we are human. And it's easy to just somehow neglect our tongue somewhat, to some maybe take it a little lighter than it should be, make not such a big deal. I read a few articles out of certain Bible institutions recently who basically said that just like today, different from years past, they'd say things like, well, you know, social drinking's okay, where 30, 40, 50 years ago they would have never tolerated that. You know, now they're saying, well, you know, cussing sometimes isn't necessarily always bad. A little bit of it here and there, salted around, isn't going to wreck your Christianity. Let me tell you something. They are, like we used to say in baseball, they are off their rocker just like Betty Crocker. I don't know what that meant when we were saying it to the pitcher, but I know that it sounds good and it means something that means they are out of this world and wrong. Jesus was often attacked by the Sadducees and Pharisees. You know, one of the reasons they hated him so much was that he exposed them for who they really were. You know, he exposed them. He, he, didn't, he listened to it, and then he said, hey, listen, let me tell you a little bit about yourselves. And over in the book of Matthew, turn there, would you please, Matthew 12, 34. In this particular case, he really, as we used to say, lambased them. I don't know what that lambast, lambaste, or whatever. Man, I mean to tell you, he's putting it on them. Look what it says over here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He's exposing them for who they really are. <laughs> Notice his careful choice of words. Oh, generation of vipers. Oh, boy. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And you think, well, no wonder they didn't like him. Boy, if you only saw how they treated him. If you've read through the Bible, you know. And can I tell you, he is literally exposing them for who and what they really are. And he's saying, you're a generation of vipers. What does that mean? We think about vipers. I mean, he's saying, you guys are a bunch of religious hypocrites. You are vipers. And he's, he's, he's comparing them to vipers. Well, note the tongue of a viper. It's long. It's sharp, and it's forked at the end. You know, years ago, the American Indians used a term called forked tongue. The white man is forked tongue. What were they getting at? What were they really saying? What they're saying is he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. They're saying that he says one thing, but he means another. He puts something even on a piece of paper and says that this is our land, and then he turns around and says, by the way, we're taking it back. Sorry. Forked tongue. They'd say one thing and mean another. And sadly, many Christians possess the same tongue as the viper and the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day. They have long tongues, sharp tongues, and forked tongues. And still we insist many times that we're right with God. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus points out that the heart and the tongue are profoundly linked together. 
Look at James chapter 1, verse 26. James chapter 1, verse 26. James chapter 1, verse 26. If you really want to see an expose on the tongue, read chapter 3 of the book of James. It's amazing. I didn't have time to get into all of that. But boy, it's powerful. But notice James chapter 1, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious. Now listen, if somebody seems to be religious, then obviously there's something we have observed about them, right? There's something we can visibly see. So, so obviously they're doing something that gives the indication that they are religious. I don't think we would argue with that. So if any man among you seem to be religious, hold on, and bridleth not his tongue. I mean, we bridle the horse, right? We put the bit in its mouth. We control the horse through the bridle and bit, right? We turn it and we cause it to go different directions. The fact is, he's saying, if any man seem to be religious among you and he cannot control his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Wait a second. You mean to tell me that I can live a certain kind of life? I can act a certain way all the time? I can put on the, uh, I, can, I, can, I can dress the nines and I can put on, uh, uh, just put on a good front and I'm doing everything that the Christian life says I ought to do and yet still you're telling me if I'm having a problem with this that my religion is vain? It's, it's not real? No, I'm not saying that at all. Not at all, I'm not saying that. But unfortunately, God is. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridled not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. See, a person's speech is the litmus test to true godliness. And that, that's a, I don't know about you, but that is a sobering thought. Not actions, but our words are the true gauge of godliness. What we say and how we say it reveals much more about who and what we really are than anything else. Now, it does not dismiss the fact that we ought to be living right. Okay, so I don't say bad words, and I'm very kind to people, and I do all the right things in the sense of my mouth, but then I go out and I drink a guzzle down a keg of beer, and, and, and I drink whiskey every night, and I beat my children, but I don't ever cuss at them, nor do I ever say anything negative. Well, that's, it's, it's not dismissing the fact that you seem to be godly. You ought to appear to be godly to the world. You ought to appear to be godly to your family. There ought to be actions and attitudes that are expressed that point to Jesus Christ. And, and it should be clear as day that there's something unique and different and distinct about you as a result of your actions. But my friend, your actions alone will simply be deception. You can be deceived by your own actions and you can deceive others by your actions, but you can't deceive God. He sees your heart. See, there are some things that do not belong in the believer's vocabulary. Number one, murmuring and complaining does not belong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, well, you can turn there. I don't want to just rip them all, these verses off and just quote them all, but 1 Corinthians 10, 10. See it for yourself. It's very important. 
This one's huge because we don't often think about this one as being a sin against God or sin with our mouth. This murmuring, which is basically in essence complaining, it's a low tone, it's a rumbling, if you will. It may not even be something where, I don't like him, and I don't like that program, and I don't like what's going on. It could just be, you know what, I don't really appreciate everything he's doing. I don't really like what's going on. And, and every time we turn around, it's like, like where's that buzz coming from? Where, where's that undertow sound? Where, who, who's it coming from? Where's it coming from? It could be that subtle murmuring and complaining look at first corinthians 10 10 neither murmur ye the apostle paul speaking to the church at corinth new testament believers neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured as he points back to the old testament as he points back to the israelites in the the, the wilderness neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer he said many of them lost their lives because they continued to complain and murmur. They ended up on the wrong side of the law. They ended up on the wrong side of God. They didn't necessarily like the leader he put in place. They didn't like the program of 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't appreciate the fact that they didn't have all the food that they wanted. And somehow they even came to the conclusion that they were doing better in slavery than they were out in the wilderness being free men. God says, okay, let me just point out to you, Corinthians, as we look back in the past, as we see an example of what not to do, murmur, he says, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed after the destro of the destroyer. Murmuring does not belong, complaining does not belong in the vocabulary of the believer. Not only that, but lying doesn't belong. Lying doesn't belong. Turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, please. Proverbs 12, 22. As you're turning to Proverbs chapter 12, I'm going to read just a couple verses. Colossians 3, 9 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. It's amazing. It's a believer. The wonderful truth of this putting off the old and putting on the new. The fact is, is that when we come to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we become new creatures. We're, we're new creatures in Christ. The old ways, that old has passed away, and behold, all things become new. And the fact is we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. So we take off the old. That means the old attitude, the old speech, the old lifestyle, all of the old things of the old man. It's gone, and we put on the new man we're to live and act like Christ now. We're to have thoughts like Christ. We're to focus on our future like Christ would. We're finding the will of God, the plan of God, and the purpose of God for our life now. Put off that old man. You've received and accepted Christ. You're a new creature in Him. You're not who you used to be. Don't act like it anymore. Put on the new man, He says. Put on the new man. And notice what he says, <laughs> and I'm reading it. He says, lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man in it with his deeds. You're not who you used to be. Stop lying. You're a new creature in Christ. Stop lying. Don't you lie to your neighbor. Don't you lie to your brother in Christ. Don't you lie to your family. Don't you lie. You're not that person anymore. 
Psalm 120, verse 2 says, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. The psalmist is saying, man, people are lying about me. People are saying bad things. You've never had to cry out to God about that, have you? Nobody's ever said anything bad about you or lied about you. You know what makes it worse? is when it's a believer that's doing it. Proverbs 12, 22, look what the Bible says now. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. I wonder if we could take just a few minutes and uh, look at the word abominable or abomination in the Bible, things that God counts abominable or as abomination. <laughs> we could go through a list of things that are just totally and completely, we'd be like, whoa. I would never do anything that's abominable. I would never want to offend God like that. And sadly enough, we'll lie. Oh, we may not full out lie. We just little, as we used to say, little white lies or little teeny lies. Really? I didn't know there were teeny little lies. And we'll justify it sometimes, sadly enough. But the Bible says, lying lips are an abomination. That's God's word. That's what God has to say about it. That's how he views lying lips. That should, never, that should not be part of our vocabulary, lying lips. Lying should not be part of our vocabulary. So one, murmuring and complaining. Two, lying. Number three, gossip and backbiting. Gossip and backbiting, that shouldn't be part of our vocabulary. Turn to Proverbs 26. You're in Proverbs 12 anyway. Go to 26, verse 20. The Bible says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. Boy, is that important. Can I tell you that there are so many things that our government, that our world, that our media have us freaking out about that would just simply go away if they stopped talking about it? It's ridiculous. Their goal of fear is working. Let me tell you something. God is not the author of uh, God is not the author of confusion. Nor, nor He says that that we we are not to. Let's see. How's He put it? The verse. I know. Just slipped my mind. Yeah, He's the. Was give me the first part. Yeah. Man, am I so glad He doesn't know that off the top of His head? Because normally both of us would, but we're on the spot. We're we're in the we're in the spotlight. We're out front. We're right here where all the pressure is. Fear, but of love and of a power and of a sound mind. Thank you. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Appreciate when he speaks to me so audibly. <laughs> that is awesome. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife seeth, verse 21, as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Gossip and backbiting, it hurts so deeply, doesn't it? We say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, or names will never harm me. Well... There's some truth to that, in a sense. It's how you perceive it. 
It's how you take it. It's how your self-image is. You know why people are so offended today? Because they have such low self-esteem. They don't see themselves as any value. They take their value from what everybody says about them instead of what God says. You're offended all the time, friend? That's your fault. That is not someone else's fault. It's because you don't know who you are in Christ. You say, that's not true. Okay, then keep living the way you are, miserably. You you will. You'll be miserable, too. Every time you hear something, I'm better than that. Don't say that about me. I am somebody. Oh, okay, that's the way to live. But anyway, that's a whole other message, isn't it? Boy, I'm just determined to get in trouble today. Gossiping back by number four, taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain. Exodus 27, you know the verse. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. What is, what's exactly forbidden in the third commandment then? What's it really saying there? Well, that word vain means empty, nothing, worthless. It means uh, kind of to no good purpose. We are forbidden, therefore, from taking the name of God or bearing the name of God in a manner that is wicked, worthless, or for wrong purposes. Not only that, but we're not to blaspheme or curse the name of God. Think about Goliath. Cursed Israel. Cursed the God of Israel. And as a result, we're not to make any promises even to God or others that we do not intend to keep. Well, I'll tell you, as God is my witness, I'm going to do this. Oh, you just took the name of God's name in vain. You better follow through, friend, or you took it in vain. We're not to share a false vision or a false claim while claiming that we're speaking on God's behalf. These people running around America today, God told me to do this, and God said this, and God... You better be careful because you're taking His name in vain. If it doesn't come to pass, He says about His prophets in Jeremiah 23, 25, they prophesy lies in my name. They say it's me speaking, but it's not me speaking, it's them. Taking the name of God in vain. Boy, we better be careful we don't take the name of God in vain by saying things that are wicked or worthless or for the wrong purposes, that we don't blaspheme or curse His name, that we don't make promises, because when we promise, we're promising to God, and when we fail to fulfill it, we're taking His name in vain. When we're not sharing, when we're sharing things that we say are of God, but they're not really of God, friend, that's, that's dangerous ground. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Number five, cursing. Now this one we all have heard about and know a little bit about. Colossians 3, 8. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, please. I wouldn't even have a show of hands if I said, how many of you have ever used a cuss word? Uh-oh. You know what I'm saying, right? Most, most kids, they, they go to school and they come home learning, tell, tell, saying them, right? It doesn't take long. They go to church. They figure it out. Did you just hear that? You guys aren't awake. You're turning to your scriptures, right? Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. By the way, every, every, every homeschool kid that ever learns a cuss word had to learn it at church. That's what every parent says. Yeah, I know. It's never from a television show or a commercial. It's never from a friend down the street. It's never from anybody else, like a family member or somebody else. It's always the church. But anyway, we'll take it. We have broad shoulders here. We are giving your child a well-rounded education. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Colossians 3, 8. But now ye also put off 
all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, here it is, filthy communication out of your mouth. Filthy communication. You know, there are real, words are powerful. You know, and, and again, I'm not going to say this to try to be, uh, uh, you know, shock value. I'm saying it because it needs to be said because I want you to understand. When we use the word damn like it's used in the Bible, but we're using it as a cuss word, all we are doing is trivial, tri- trivializing or making light of that, the, the, of, of judgment. We're undermining God's, uh, God, the judgment. We're, we're, we're making it less important. We're making it less powerful, potent. We're not, it doesn't have the shock value anymore. It's being said so much that people say, it's normal, it's normal, it's normal. But judgment, there's nothing normal about God's judgment day. We use the word hell. We know it's a place, personally, but yet it's used as a cuss word. Well, then it diminishes, then, the, the, the real place, hell. People, again, hear it all the time, and as a result of that, they, they don't really think of it as a fiery inferno. They don't think about it as an eternal damnation. No, they just, it's a cuss word. It's a nothing. It's no big deal. You guys believe in hell. It doesn't mean nothing. Really? Just because you say it as though it means nothing does not take away what it really is. And then, of course, we sprinkle in our conversation expletives related to intimacy and things like that, and we just diminish and we demise and we just disintegrate everything that God intends for the marriage and within marriage and divinely ordained union of man and wife. We just say, it's no big deal. It's not important. We make it nasty and negative and critical, and eh, it's not good. Cursing. There's nothing about cursing that is positive. Number six, speaking evil things. We think about this, and this is the last one, and then we're going to get to the end here because we need to close. Speaking evil things. Ephesians 5, 12 says, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You know, there are things that the world does that we shouldn't even discuss among ourselves. That's, that's what he's talking about. That we shouldn't use our lips to do it. We shouldn't talk about those things. We shouldn't even mention them. I know they're putting them on headlines, and I know that they're placing them right in our living rooms today as a result of our phones and our our tablets and our computers and our televisions. But my friend, there are some things we shouldn't even be speaking about that they do in secret. And now they're doing them publicly. Because if if you talk about it enough, it becomes mainstream. That's what God's trying to avoid. What we say and how we say it reveals much more about who and what we really are. And again, that particular fact prompted the psalmist to utter this prayer in Psalm 1914. Turn to Psalm 1914. Powerful passage. Psalm 1914. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Boy, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. We already know that he talked about these these religious leaders who were hypocritical in their approach to religion. And he says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's what he tells them. And so here in the passage, the psalmist is very clear. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, because ultimately what's in my heart will come out of my mouth. 
Let it be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Can there be a better prayer for a believer? I mean, to be accepted in the sight of our holy God, that is truly a desirable goal. So how important is it that our tongues support our profession then? In Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to close with this passage. Turn to Matthew 26, 69. We're going to read about a man by the name of Peter. You're going to know the the account immediately as soon as we start. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, look what the Bible says through verse 75. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. We know that in the garden they came and took Jesus Christ, and the disciples fled, but now he finds himself being tried. A mock trial, of course. But Peter now, from a distance, is observing and watching what's taking place. And he sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Verse 71, and when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Verse 73, and after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Did you see that? And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Notice, And after a while came unto him, verse 73, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. Why? For thy speech bereath thee. It gives you away, Buster. We're listening to you, and you don't sound like the rest of us. You don't talk like the rest of us. There's something unique and different about you. Quit telling us you don't know the master. Quit telling us you don't know Jesus of Nazareth. You're lying to us. We can tell by your speech. And he says, oh yeah, let me prove it. I know not the man. Why do you do that? Because he wanted to sound like the rest of them. Because he wasn't like the rest. And so he had to curse. He had to say things that were not appropriate. He had to act, talk, and be like them for just that moment to try to convince them. Like Peter, those around us should say, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Suppose you were stopped at a worldly checkpoint. And there they stood with their machine guns and they had a guillotine off to the side. 
and they stopped you and said, hold on, are you a Christian? And for the sake of illustration, and to save your life, you said, no, I'm not a Christian. Say shibboleth. Sibboleth. No, I'm not a Christian. Your speech betrays you. Oh, we've been, we looked up your Facebook account. We checked out your posts. You don't talk like the world. You You don't talk like us. You don't cuss and curse. You don't gossip and backbite. You don't murmur and complain. Don't you tell me you're not a Christian. You're a Christian! Or would they say, by all means, pass by. You're one of us. Your speech confirms it. May our speech always reflect our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. May the world see and hear the difference each day. Are you a Christian? Have you invited Christ in your life? Don't let your speech betray your profession. Make sure your speech aligns with that. And when someone says, I don't even need to ask. I can tell by the way you talk, what you don't talk about. I can tell there's something different about you. You're a Christian. I don't care what you tell me. I know based on what I'm hearing. Do you know Christ as your Savior, though? Maybe you don't today. Do you know it doesn't matter how clean your language is, doesn't matter how clean your living is, without Jesus Christ, you're still a sinner and you'll pay for your sin. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God wants you to become part of his family, but you don't become part of the family by living a good life. You become part of the family by receiving and accepting Jesus Christ into your life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? All your attempts to live a holy, clean life will never get you to heaven. It has to be only Jesus. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He hung on a cross called Calvary. He literally shed his perfect, precious blood and gave his body and life and died and took your place. But he didn't just die. He was buried and he rose again the third day, proving that he was more than a mere man. He was God-man and that he was literally the creator of the universe and he made you to fellowship with you. You are missing out on the greatest relationship you could ever imagine because you failed to receive and accept Jesus the Son. Boy, trust him today. Let him change your life. You say, would I have to give up cussing? Yeah, you better give it up, friend, if you're truly a Christian. You represent him now. Well, I have to stop gossiping? Duh, why wouldn't you? 
I mean, you mean that i got to start controlling my tongue? You'll want to if you know Christ. It'll change your life. He'll change your life. And if you're a child of God and you slip back into some old habits, friend, it's time that we make a change. Come to an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, I have allowed my tongue to control me instead of allowing your spirit to control it. Say, I confess it as sin, and I don't want this filthy mouth anymore. I don't want to betray my testimony anymore. I want my speech to align with my testimony. I want people to know I'm a Christian by my speech, the way I talk and what I say, how I say it. Father, we need you tonight, or this morning. We just ask that you'd bless us and help us. Lord, again, be with uh, just each and every one that's here today. And Lord, again, this is a, a simple message. There's nothing complicated about it. But Lord, these Ephraimites were found out to be the enemy because they could not form the right words. They didn't speak properly. They could not say things the way it was said by the Gideonites. Gideonite, the Gideonites. And Lord, today as believers, our speech ought to be unique and different from the world. Lord, if we were asked the question and we tried to say we were not a Christian, they should say, no, we know it based on how, what the work, the review we've done on your websites and your, your Facebook and your accounts and from the testimony we've received from others. You don't talk like us. You don't act like us. You don't do the things, say the things that we say, and you don't have the attitudes that we have. You don't have the perspective and share those thoughts. You don't even talk about certain things. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to be those that, Father, honor you. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Let that be our prayer today. Father, for that person that's lost without Jesus, Lord, they may be a good person in the eyes of the world, but Lord, they need Jesus Christ to forgive them, save them, and to allow them to be part of his family in order to get to heaven, in order to have that relationship that you intended for them. May they make a decision to come forward and let someone take a Bible and show them from the Bible a few basic biblical truths that will help them to find Jesus and ultimately change their life for good forever. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed today.